0: Podcasting to all of Azeroth. This is Renata Kane from World of Warcast, a World of Warcraft podcast. And I never listen to I Doubt it with Dolomore. Well, maybe when the game servers are down. Nah, not even then.
1: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dallimore. All right. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us this episode 339 of the Infinite Well Springs Forth Comedy and Information twice weekly. I Doubt It with Dallimore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dallimore, and sitting across from me... The lady who's got all the jokes,
2: <laughs>
1: Brittany Page. I was
2: told that this was a microaggression-free zone, <laughs> and I don't appreciate what's happening. Right
1: I now. do not know because who told you that? You're telling
2: me that I don't have the jokes before we go. We go hot with the mics <laughs> <laughs> and. I do have the jokes. How long are you
1: going to ramble before I introduce our in-studio guest?
2: I have made people piss their (laughs) pants from laughing. You
1: have not made people piss their pants from laughing. I have
2: made people piss their pants from laughing. No. Yes. Uh, She may have had four kids and it may have already been a problem, but it's fine. She had
1: a weakened bladder wall. What do they call it? The floor. Pelvic floor was weakened from her multiple... Child Let's
2: stop talking about my mom's pelvic floor, mm. if we could.
1: Let me tell you about your mom's pelvic floor, Brittany. All right. It is real, real nice. Yikes. All right. Well, <laughs> joining us in studio, new listeners are tuning in and being like, what in the fuck is going on <laughs> with this show? Drew Levine, everybody. Hello again. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Poor Drew. Ivy
1: League educated attorney (laughs) brought in specifically for this episode. Yes. Because there's a lot of legal
3: mumbo jumbo to bring in the expert. I love when you build me up in these intros, Jesse, because I'm a duck. You know, if you keep feeding me, I'm going to keep coming back. (laughs) We'll have some Drew Frogwa. Yes. Isn't that uh that's duck and
1: goose liver right i don't know are you shitting on me about my french pronunciation french french
3: pronunciation no your pronunciation is fine i just i I don't think i'm prepared to uh offer part of my liver tonight yeah (laughs) but my endless well of wit and charm (laughs) you got it (laughs) all
1: right now we're out of all the inside jokes yeah we like to bolster the resume and give your CV over the air. Well, it's, it's appreciated. I, Undergrad, I, you have a philosophy degree from Cal, from Berkeley. Is yes, that right?
3: That's correct, yes.
1: And then you went on to the prestigious Cornell in Ithaca, New York. Man. For law school.
3: Yeah. I feel Wasn't there like-
1: something else in there in between?
3: I I have a master's degree in business from NYU and extension program in Israel.
1: Wow! What is happening?
3: <laughs> it just right gets now? better. It I just know. Keeps, it just keeps getting better. Yeah. Most of most of that is uh, <laughs> entirely useless, but uh,
1: there's a comedian. I used to make this joke all the time, and I would let it be known it wasn't my joke. But there was a comedian who did like a. Uh, it it was a stand back, but it was more dramatic than that, and he. He, he made jokes about how he got a philosophy degree, his undergrad. And he says, yeah, I went out and got my philosophy degree. And then when I went out into the job market, I realized none of the big philosophy firms were hiring. <laughs> and it's it's kind of like having an undergrad in psychology. Brittany, you might relate.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's fucking pretty worthless because there's no market for jobs well, ex- of, of an undergrad degree in that
3: particular discipline. I mean, that is true with one exception. If you intend to go to law school, having a philosophy undergrad is actually very useful.
1: No, no, no. Of course. If you're going to further your education. Right. If you stop there, it's Walmart greeter.
3: Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, statistically statistically speaking, at least this was true when I took the LSAT, uh, philosophy undergrad's tend to do the best huh. of all the, the liberal arts Yeah, the yeah. critical thinking, the you know, the fact that you usually have to take a formal logic course really prepares you for a lot of stuff that's mm. very unique and specific to the LSAT and to law school. So it came in handy. Um, I wanted to do classics, but my dad sort of strong-armed me into philosophy. So here you go. All right. Yeah. Well, here you are. And we're happy you're here. I'm glad to be here, and I definitely appreciate all the compliments. I, I do need my... Uh, some, you know, occasionally regular dose of of, uh, <laughs> of uh, ego building. It's always here for you, buddy. So, yeah. It, it's always I'll, here. Yeah, I'll keep coming back, I tell you. Speaking <laughs> of higher education, yeah. Brittany Page,
1: mm-hmm. you had another incident on uh, on uh, the, the college campus of the University of Southern California.
2: I didn't have an incident.
1: Well, you... Well, I guess that's... Yeah, you did not have an incident, but you were afraid there might be an incident, and that incident would have involved assault.
2: Well, I feel like the USC campus is a little rapey. Or <laughs> Wow. Um, you hear that
1: USC get your shit together.
2: I mean it it is a perfect environment for rapes.
1: It's it's a petri dish if you will of yeah. sexual assault. There's
2: a it it needs a lot more lighting than it has. I was walking across the the campus and it was just dark in so many areas and I was oh this is a perfect rape location. I'm going to get raped here. I mean it was it was not it was not very exciting. So
1: you felt <laughs> it probably was very exciting.
2: Uh a lot
1: of brisk walking.
2: Yeah. I was I was hustling.
1: That is weird being the year that it is and with with
2: and a rich school. Awareness. Right? It's a rich school.
3: Well, yeah, oh, for sure it's a rich school. I mean, USC has the reputation of being a little unsafe, and it has for a long time. Yeah, but we're talking about on campus, not the surround. I mean, right. the surrounding area is a fucking shithole. That is for sure. I don't know. I always sort of got the impression, and USC fans who are listening are probably going to hate me for this, but I always sort of got the impression that USC alumni may not be the, you know, the demographic that takes rape allegations as seriously as they might on other campuses kind of broy. yeah maybe a little bro bro guy i mean so you mentioned that i went to cal one of the things that i remember about cal is whenever usc came to play football everybody just sort of walked around all the usc fans they walked around like they owned the place and that they were the kings and Hmm. everybody just sort of had to kowtow to them and i just have this this unreasonable that
1: might have been the time because USC football you're talking about football season it was
3: football fans yeah
1: USC football for a long time has dominated the Pac-10 then now it's the Pac-12 yeah um now we're really getting in the weeds but i think that's more that's i think that's less about an indictment of of the the student body than it is more about the they're uh, kicking your ass well, it, because
3: you're the Cal Bears yeah but if you're the kind of person that believes that your shit doesn't stink in one area of life, maybe you have
4: oh, really? that belief in another Cal area of life.
1: that brags about how many Nobel laureates they have and all the the, the, the parking spaces they give out. Okay, well,
2: the y- priority here is about lighting but- on the campus. <laughs> <laughs> and the rape corners. It is not about... The rape
1: corners? Yeah.
2: There were dark rape corners.
1: Well, you avoid those corners. <laughs> I was. Did you see? Were, were there like, like assaulters, like, ha, 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 rubbing their no, palms but together? you know, you... Twisting the corners of their mustache, waiting for you to, to, to just go into the corner?
2: That would be great, because that would be the perfect sign that I need to run away <laughs> if someone was doing that with their mustache. <laughs> but no, we, we've talked about this on the show, where I think you used to not understand this kind of thing
3: for sure we have. that
2: women feel this way when they're walking around. Yeah. And even when I was walking to the parking garage before I got to my car, I had my keys in my hand. I was like ready to throw my stuff in the car and like, you know, I was watching what was going on. And sometimes I'm like worried about how that looks when I'm like walking to my car and I'm looking over my shoulder, making sure no one's following me. Yeah, But that's one of the most common places to to be raped. Well, it's when
1: you're not focused on what you're doing or when you're focused on other things.
2: Yeah. Like we have. And I'm ha- not trying to sound irrational or like I walk around with this fear. No, 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 But no. when you're walking on a college campus and it's dark and it's kind of creepy, it that thought pops into your head, you know.
3: Well, yeah. And there's no question that people are the victims of crimes right. in those areas. Right. I mean, it's, it was a big problem uh, where I went to college and it's a big problem probably anywhere yeah
1: it's uh, you know you're right we have talked about in the past that it really it didn't like take me a while to figure it out maybe i guess that is the way to say it but because i wasn't resistant to it once my eyes were open to this thing that me being behind a woman and if i'm walking briskly and i might be freaking her out and not have any idea that men need to be a little bit more aware of the situation a lot of women are in, as far as being afraid for their safety, yeah, a- and be be a helper in those kind of instances.
3: Yeah, and for anybody that wants to, that is sitting at home thinking, "Oh, well, statistically, you're probably more likely to be raped by somebody that you know," which is true. I mean, you're still vulnerable to other types of crimes as well right. when you're in darkened areas. Right. It like also doesn't make you. F-
1: and- it, it, I, you can't really ration your way rationalize your way through that. Yeah. With uh oh I. Very scared right now. Oh, but you know, statistically, I'm actually far more likely to be raped at home than I am in this parking lot. It's not really helping somebody out.
3: It only takes once.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So it is a little shocking that it's 2017. Yeah. Keep having to fucking say this. Yeah. All the way through 2017. Maybe it'll stop in 2018.
2: Well, I feel comforted that at least the MRAs know how I feel. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they... Men's
1: rights activists.
2: Yeah. Um...
1: Because, you know, they there's a lot of rape that goes on. That they talk about of men being raped.
2: Everyone's going to get sick of all my MRA jokes, but I'm just, I'm really enjoying them lately. (laughs) So hang in there.
1: (laughs) I say milk it.
2: Yes, that's what I'm going to do.
1: Well, that that reminds me, didn't you just also had an incident in a lift where you felt, it's kind of weird. No, it's weird because you're not the type that is always having like, oh, I felt really unsafe. It was kind of weird.
2: Yeah, not at all.
1: You texted me from a lift and were like, uh
2: yeah, in where fact, the fuck
1: is this guy going? And you took a screenshot of where you were.
2: In fact, I, I I don't think this is rational, but I some I somewhat feel immune from feeling this way a lot of the time because I'm 5'10 and I you know I'm not like a petite little woman. If
1: you've never seen a picture of Brittany Page, she looks a lot like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> She's taller than me.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm not saying that. So this, so
1: this let me reenact. I'm not ha- saying I'm let built. Let me reenact. I'm not what saying
2: happened. I'm an MMA fighter. Let let me, I'm just saying I'm tall.
1: Let me reenact what happened in the lift. He started going away. Britney Page didn't know, and she and she said, "Hey, what's going on, brother?" <laughs> and he was, like, "Oh, oh,
3: oh! I got better. Get back on track." Yeah, that's tell the audience what happened.
2: Uh, That's what happens. Um, Yeah, you... Spoiler alert. You know,
3: I'm imagining a little yellow mustache and I'm totally seeing it.
2: Yeah, it would work. Um, No, he started going the opposite direction that it was telling him to go. And he took me through like an apartment complex. And that's when I started feeling worried because we were going the opposite way we should have been going. And then it was... He was taking me through an apartment complex.
1: And you know the area. It's not like you were... Y- you were you knew the route to go. Yeah. You knew like one of three routes that you go. He didn't go any of those routes.
2: And he didn't talk to me at all and no music was playing.
1: <laughs> so Yikes. it was
2: already kind of weird and then we started going in this apartment complex and I put my phone away and I was trying to plan for what was going to happen next. Yeah. If something bad was getting ready to happen. Um but again, you know, I'm I'm not irrational, but there's just these situations that pop up where you there's like a heightened sense of awareness and something just doesn't feel right. You know,
3: I think we should rely more on that. Trust your instincts. For yeah, sure, for yeah. sure. That's not irrational. Yeah. All right. There you go.
2: This is a great session, guys. Thanks. <laughs> you feel like you got something out of this? Was this important for you? Yes.
1: Is that what you say? Probably not. All right. <laughs> All right, let's 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 move on. We got a lot of voicemails. Um, I picked a few that were relevant to kind of the stuff that's going on, like, I guess, every show. But the first one I'm going to get to is more kind of what Drew would like, which is self-affirming, <laughs> Brittany
3: Page. I do love that.
0: Hi, Jessie and Brittany. This is Carol from the UK. I'm um, a new listener and I just want to thank you for all you do. I'm not yet qualified to say who's the best part, but you both seem equally great to me. I just wanted to comment on the this ain't your granddad's news and comments show thing. My first grandbaby is due soon. Um, Can I keep listening or perhaps I'm okay, but my husband needs to be put out to pasture. Could you clarify? Anyway, thanks. I just wanted to let you know that not all your listeners are 23 years old.
2: Thanks. Bye. Wow. Uh, I
1: think well, we
2: just got told.
1: Let me, let me take this opportunity, Carol, to first thank you very much for the voice memo. Um, we appreciate it very much. Uh, and also that I am sad to inform you that because you are approaching grandmahood... You are officially banned from the show. Uh Uh-oh. We can't have that. What if I don't... Because this ain't... Oh, no, I guess... Uh... It's not her granddad's show. No, no. Also, she got in on a technicality because it's not your granddad's news and comment show. She's not going to be a granddad. She's good to go. And are you saying that she was grandfathered in? Uh... (laughs) Oh. Speaking of fucking granddad jokes... Hashtag Cornell. I actually hate puns. Hey, you're here for the legal mumbo-jumbo. You're not here (laughs) for the jokes, guy. Keep it down. Grandfathering in is a legal term. (laughs) Thank you, seriously, Carol. We appreciate your listenership very much. And congratulations on... uh, Getting ready to be a grandma.
2: I love that Jesse is the one criticizing our comedic talents, and he's the only one that has recycled a joke from another comedian. We've been using our own material. All right,
1: next up, Eagle from Wisconsin.
5: Hey, guys, it's Eagle from Wisconsin. Uh, I just watched Jesse's bit on Sean Spicer. While I agree with most of what you said, Jesse, I do have a quick question regarding this. Should we accept the apologies of those who want supported Trump? but later realized they were hurting America and felt remorse. Uh, I get the frustration. I, I really do. But is this the right approach to move forward from this appalling and embarrassing administration? And uh, to follow up, if Sean were to officially publicly apologize, should we accept that apology? If not, what would suffice so we could work together and try and fix this? And like you always say, Jesse, to move the conversation forward. Uh, I'm sorry if it sounded shaky uh, during this voicemail. Um, I get really bad anxiety when I call on the phone. And even if I practice a dozen times. So, sorry about that. Uh, thanks, guys. Bye.
2: I think you sounded great. And I didn't hear any of that. So
1: Me either. I should have just cut that out and then said, what a great sound in voicemail. Just for some uh, no more affirmation. We're, we're a positive show, Brittany. Page. We're on the
3: affirmation train today.
1: Yeah, we are. Two. Af- Affirmation train. Mm. (laughs) All aboard, everybody. All right, That
2: should be a drop. um, (laughs) And we should make a segment out of that somehow.
1: So, Eagle, thank you very much for the voicemail. And you didn't sound shaky at all. It was great. And Uh,
2: now I would like to moderate a debate between Jesse and Drew.
1: Let me address this. First, for those of you who don't know, we do have a lot of international listeners who maybe didn't listen to the Emmys or watch, as it were, the Emmys. Yeah. Stephen Colbert hosted this year's Emmys and did a little bit where he brought out Sean Spicer the former press secretary for, D- for Donald Trump this is how it went down then we're going to talk about it of course what
6: really matters to Donald Trump is ratings you got to have the big numbers and I certainly hope we achieve that tonight unfortunately at this point we have no way of knowing how big our audience is I mean, is there anyone who could say how big the audience is? Sean, do you know? This will be the largest audience to
4: witness an Emmys, period, both in person and around the world.
6: Wow, that really soothes my fragile ego. I can understand why you'd want one of these guys around. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, everybody, give it up.
1: So that is the sum and substance of what happened. And there was a lot of, a lot of consternation, a lot of outrage about this. Dan Rather wrote a very short blurb on Facebook. And I really do take kind of the the, the Ratherinian, the Rather-esque, the Ratheropian. I don't know how it would be, but the Dan Rather approach to this. That it's uh it's too soon. Not enough penance has been paid by Sean Spicer to. Make up for the wrongs that he's done to the American people,
2: and and for it to be a joke,
1: and yeah, it's it's not because fu- that's what he's doing. It's is, not fucking funny. He's yet.
2: making a joke about the lying that he that he did.
1: That's exactly right. So so first of all, Eagle, uh, let me say this. Yes, absolutely. Those who come around and realize the folly of their ways, or whatever you want to say about their support for Donald Trump they should be forgiven. They should be brought back in We because we want to unify the country. That's ultimately the goal. Sean Spicer's done a little bit in position, though. One, he hasn't asked for forgiveness. He didn't leave because of some moral viewpoint. He left because he didn't like the guy that was going to be his boss, Scaramucci. He still has not apologized for all of his fucking terrible behavior. Outright lies to the American people day after day after day, demonizing our constitutionally free press on an almost daily basis. He hasn't done that. So when he does, if he does come out and say, I was wrong, what I did was wrong, Donald Trump is wrong, I ask for the the forgiveness of the American, until he does that, nope, he doesn't get to be brought back into the fold with us regular folks. That's my position. Drew disagrees.
3: Or at least he did earlier on Facebook. No, I disagree. I mean, that was a rousing little uh, soliloquy, Jesse. But <laughs> wow. I, I still disagree with you. Well, it what's would your have, position? It oh.
2: would have sounded better if it was in a Hulk Hogan voice. Yeah. Right?
1: Listen, yeah. brother. That's actually, I think, ro- Randy Macho Man.
3: No, 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 no. Is that Hulk? No, Hulk Hogan said brother. Did he? Yeah. Randy, Randy Macho Man Savage doesn't get that word. He, he does the brother, doesn't he?
2: I
1: have no idea.
3: No, that's I'm not a wrestling sa- guy. That's sacrilege, so. man. All right, back, back to
1: the issue at hand.
3: All right. So Sean Trying Spicer... Trying to fucking flack well, over well, here. F- first off, I, I think that Sean Spicer is the messenger. He is not the originator, originator of the message. So the old adage, don't shoot the messenger, I think that applies here. Um, it always seemed to me that he was somewhat under duress. He was under orders, marching orders to go out and to sell these lies that Donald Trump wanted him to sell. I see Sean as somebody that was in an impossible position. So he was a muckety-muck within the RNC. I imagine that the reason that he came over as the communications director was because Ryan's Priebus probably asked him to. To, mm-hmm. to, sure. to sort of join the pri- uh, Priebus train and, and see if they could control Donald Trump. Sean Spicer was also somebody that was highly critical of Donald Trump when he made some of his more outrageous comments during Early the Early prim- on. Right, yeah. Early on in the primaries. Right. But he, I see him as somebody that's finding himself in a position that a lot of Republicans are finding themselves, which is, what do you do when this thing, this idea, this organization that you've invested most of your life into building is suddenly taken over by somebody who is clearly strange, maniac, uh, racist, homophobic? What, any, any pejorative that you want to attach to Donald Trump um, that makes him an unqualified person to be uh, in the presidency... What do, you, what do you do when somebody like that takes over your organization? And I don't think it's an irrational instinct to want to try to control the damage from, in, from the inside. And I think, you know, I see Sean Spicer's acceptance of this role and even the acceptance of some of the things that he was asked to do as an attempt to try to control the damage from the inside. To me, I think that that means that we ought to give him a little bit of slack and trying to understand the impossible position that he was in. And I think that we ought to sort of try to. Understand his departure from the White House. I don't think it was just him leaving because Scaramucci joined. I think that was probably the straw that broke the, the camel's back. Why do you say that? Well, because
1: he you're, was. Now, now you're just your spec- wild no, speculation on not, the part of Mr. Not, Levine.
3: No, no, no. It's not wild speculation. He was hiding in the bushes. He did not want to be doing his job. <laughs> right. I mean, this is this is a guy that clearly was uncomfortable in the position he the position that he was in. Uh, he was always flustered when he was up there giving speeches. That's because he's not very smart. Maybe, but I think he also really didn't like what he was doing. It's not Joe
1: Trudeau. It's Justin Trudeau. He's just not a very smart guy. He doesn't pronounce the names of world leaders, even easy ones.
3: Okay, he's not a smart guy. O- okay, maybe he's not that smart of a guy, but he that
2: doesn't seem like it helps your argument. That seems like it helps Drew's argument.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, he's smart enough to know
1: who do I choose. My country or this despot? Well, let me... That's what it boils down to. Because I know you may have access to pictures, to photographs of of Sean Spicer being wheeled in a la Silence of the Lambs with the, <laughs> the face mask on on a fucking dolly against his will, Drew. But he was not. Okay. He's a grown goddamn man who is a commander in the Navy who
3: chose... To accept this job. What he chose, in my view, is he chose to hitch his wagon to the Republican Party. Yeah, and he did. Once you hitch your wagon to the Republican Party and Donald Trump becomes the presumptive Republican nominee, you're faced with an impossible choice. That's the way I, I view it. Well, and, hang on. And, hang on.
1: Let me, I, I've I let you go on. I didn't want to, not on and on, but I've let you really, because I don't want to keep interrupting every time. Sure. I could name many people. Who 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 have made a choice in the face of this quote unquote impossible choice? Anna Navarro, Amanda Carpenter. Th- there are several people who have said, uh, "Painter." We're going to hear from
3: Painter today. Well, are any Richard of these... Painter who used to be the ethics? But but these are not folks that we're currently holding high positions within the party. They're outside. Like Anna is a strategist and commentator, right? But, uh, she's
1: a Republican strategist. Who's Republican
3: strategist. Who's and tra- Amanda Carpenter was the the the
1: Ted Cruz. The press
3: the press secretary for Ted Cruz. But if you're a high ranking member, is that within, not high ranking enough. He she was he, Spicer was with the RNC. I mean he was. I realized that Amanda Carpenter was the press secretary for, for a campaign. For the campaign of this of the person who
1: left the the, the, the Republican primary, hashtag Lipbug
3: le- left just before Donald Trump got the nomination. It's different when you're a high ranking official within the actual party mm. structure, though. I don't think so. I mean, he could have left. He, I would disagree with that. Look, he he, he, he could have made a profoundly courageous choice and left, and well, no, 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 He, an he didn't have to. It
1: doesn't have to be left. He could have just said, Nah, that job's not for me. We know what Donald Trump's about. It wasn't like he was inaugurated and then what the fuck happened? Or we even, know what Donald Trump was. Or
2: even, come on, bro, I'm not going to go out there <laughs> and on, and talk about the crowd size. I'm not going to do that. You know, I.
3: So he. So what? What is his? Tr- so once he accepts the position in December. ironic, bro. By the way. Yeah. So once he accepts the position to be the press secretary in December, when everybody is sort of like crossing their fingers and hoping that Donald Trump actually starts acting like a sane right? person, we all had that wish and so- hope. So we all have that wish. A month later. A month and a half later, the inauguration happens. What is his What is his option once he's asked to go out and say something completely ludicrous like the crowd the crowd size? He's either going to immediately resign, or he's going to say, "All right, this is clearly ludicrous. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to see if I can prevail upon him to not make me do these ridiculous and awful things." And I think that if he had resigned it's unclear whether or not he could have ever had a career again within the Republican party. Okay. Maybe so. That doesn't absolve
1: him for me. And maybe if it, it does for you, I, I, and I'm not saying it does, it just, you have a lot more compassion about it than I do because he chose Trump over country. There's no other way to look at it than that. He chose Donald Trump. And even if you want to say Donald Trump slash Republican party, he chose those two things over what was best for the what is clearly best
3: for the country, unless he believed wrongly, but unless he believed that he could actually affect Trump for the good.
1: Well, then what what was the straw then? What was the straw after six months? What well, caused him to finally walk away? Was it the the chemical weapons in Syria, where Sean Spicer said that even Hitler didn't use chemical weapons, Drew? The, Even Hitler—that
3: was a bonehead moment. That wasn't him being nefarious. Come on, I, I didn't say he was being nefarious. That was—that was him being stupid.
1: He—he's—he's so—he's so sold out for Donald Trump that he's willing
3: to make that kind of a error, critical error in logic and judgment. Well, my guess is that he was hoping that Reince Priebus would prevail upon Trump. That was—that's my guess. I mean, we don't know because we were on the inside. So uh, I'm talking about things we do know.
1: You're talking about... You're appealing to the better angels of his nature that you think are there. But I, all, I, all I'm basing it on is... It, like in my video that Eagle mentioned, <laughs> Dan Rather said, I don't know his heart. When you're, and wh- I don't know his heart either, Drew. What I do know is I witness his behavior. I
3: witness his words. I listen to them. I take them in.
2: Drew knows his
1: heart.
3: Not a good guy. Okay, well... As you know, I'm a lawyer. Sometimes I have to go in front of a judge and make arguments that I don't fully believe in because mm-hmm. that's what's best for my client. And he, for better or worse, had you, a... He
1: does not share an
3: attorney-client
1: relationship or privilege that you have with the
3: client. I understand he is not that. I understand that there's a distinction, but he no, probably... No, 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 no. Th- no, no, no.
1: You can't just argue. You can't just make a statement. I understand it's not the same. It's not the same at all. You have a legal obligation to a client. He doesn't have a legal... He can walk the fuck away. He could have walked out mid press conference. He could have walked away. He didn't.
3: He did after six months. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so in the grand
3: think, scheme of things, that's actually not a very long amount of time. Come on, I know it's not. <laughs> well, it's too
2: long to continue believing, as as you believe that he thought he could change. Because there's a certain point where you realize, well, I agree, yeah, I yeah. can't do that. Yeah. So, so I, I, might I agree, have gone it w- into it hoping for that, but I mean, at what point do you? I know, agree that it's, right, it's, it's, it's
3: irrational, and maybe should have. Maybe he took longer than he should have, but uh, he he got there eventually.
2: So what about him saying that he regrets the whole?
3: Lying about the inauguration
2: um, size. The, uh, well, he didn't say that, but um, berating reporters about the inauguration See, crowd size it,
1: until he admits it was a lie. Just because he he regrets the manner with which he lied, he needs to come out and say I was wrong. What I did was not correct. And until then, you don't get brought back into the fold. You don't get to normalize what you did so where your public persona is washed clean, and now you get to go on TV and be a respected member. You know what? It's the same. He's doing the reverse Jeffrey Lord, that white-haired douchebag Mm -hmm. from CNN, who's now writing for Breitbart, talking about the evils of the of the of the mainstream media.
2: Well, by the way, he's still saying that he hopes Donald Trump wasn't upset by the little Emmy skit. So he still is
1: beholden. Yeah,
2: he's he's hoping that he is making the leader happy still. <laughs> the
3: leader.
1: No, he's the he, marshal of North Korea. Cool.
3: <laughs> this guy has recently emerged from a cult. Give him time. Maybe he will come out and write a tell-all and talk about and be completely honest forthright about everything that he was experiencing on um, my okay my suspicion i mean the reason I, I i think that this is analogous to what's happening is because of some of my own experiences about leaving you know very conservative religion and the way that i felt among emergence of it i think that you just have people a little bit of slack and allow for the possibility that re- uh, reformation is happening
2: i think that that's somewhat reasonable because of the video that was released when they were sitting around the table all praising him and I don't know if Sean Spicer was involved in that. He wasn't. That was
1: Reince Priebus. But
2: when you used the word cult it reminded me of seeing that video which was very
1: strange. I don't think that's an unreasonable uh, position. We're going to wrap this up. I I don't think that's an unreasonable position. Yeah, I'm giving myself the last word. That's right. Um, (laughs) But until the tell-all happens, until the apology happens, until that happens... Nope. Not for me. All right. As always, though, we want to leave it to the audience. We want to hear what they have to say. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo just like Carol did from your smartphone to idoubtit at We would love, love to hear from you.
5: Support for I Doubt It With Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of patreon your support on patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time if you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters please visit patreon.com slash i doubt it with dollamore
1: occulte veritatis uh veritatis that doesn't sound like a name That sounds like an emerging podcast is what that sounds like.
2: I have no idea.
1: So thank you, Emerging Podcast, Occulte Veritatis. We appreciate your support on Patreon very, very much. Very much. Listen, if you are in Southern California, even if you're not in Southern California, we would like to invite you to an event that we are moderating at Cal State University Fullerton with... Michael Shermer among others and it is going to be a good time. It is on October 19th at 7:30 in the student union whatever
2: the Titan Theater.
1: Titan Theater. The
2: Titan Student Union. So, Jesse should know more about the details. It's also going to be Michael wait, wait, Shermer. Wait. wait, wait. Michael you're, Shermer? You're reading off a laptop Dr. right now. Dr. Ryan Nichols? No one knows that. No one <laughs> That's not true.
1: They know that now.
2: (laughs) Uh, Dr. Douglas Navarroch will be there as well. So, good times.
1: It's going to be a a moderated discussion on solving moral dilemmas, whether science can help us.
2: How do we know what's right? How
1: do we know what's right?
2: How do we know?
1: So, listen, if you're in the area, if you're you're planning a trip, come and uh, rub elbows, hobnob with the Brittany Page and the Jesse D. No? Um,
2: yeah. And then there's also going to be a book signing and refreshments at yes. the book signing as well. Michael Shermer will be signing books. Books will be on sale on site. So that's always a good time.
1: So go to slash Shermer. And there's a poster there that you can read some details. And below the poster, there's a link to the Facebook event.
2: Say you're going.
1: That you can click going and interested. I would encourage you to click going or interested, either one, because then it pushes it into people's feeds, and you might have somebody who would be interested. That would help me out. Yes. And Brittany out. Yeah. A lot. Also... It wouldn't help Drew out at all. No. But it helps us out. Your but, success is my success.
2: <laughs> <laughs> go to... A rising
1: tide floats all boats. Go right, to
2: dollamore.com slash Shermer, and at least look at the poster, because it's so beautiful, and a very beautiful human made it for me. So... Go, go look at Katie's beautiful artwork.
5: Awesome.
1: All right. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. I don't have my glasses. <laughs> and I can't see what goddamn time is on the screen. Uh-oh. Because I am...
2: Getting old. Uh,
1: Yeah, I guess that's what it is. I can't see falling apart anymore. So, anyway, that is kind of neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Let's get into this. A lot is going on. This is why we brought Drew in today because there is breaking news relative to Manafort and surveillance that has been going on prior to Trump's election and then subsequent to.
7: Manafort under surveillance. CNN has learned that investigators wiretapped former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort under secret court order, both before and after the 2016 election. And that surveillance continued into this year, including a period when Manafort wasn't working for the campaign, but was known to talk with President Donald Trump. Pamela Brown, Evan Perez and Shimon Prokopez broke this story and they are out front tonight. So much to ask all of you as this breaks. So Evan, let's just start off with the bottom line here. What are you learning tonight?
8: Well, Aaron, sources tell us that the FBI got permission from the Secretive Surveillance Court to monitor Paul Manafort, the former uh, Trump campaign chairman, before and after the election. Now, uh, this is an extraordinary step for the FBI to do surveillance on a high-ranking campaign official. And of course, Manafort is now at the center of the Russia meddling investigation. We're told that there are intercepted communications that raise concerns about whether Manafort was encouraging the Russians to help with the campaign. Now, other sources told us that this intelligence was not conclusive enough. Now, Robert, uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team has been provided all of these communications, Aaron.
7: So, Evan, when you say encouraging, Manafort encouraging Russians to help with the campaign, obviously uh, the weight of everything is on that word encouraging. What do you mean by it?
8: Right. There's a lot we don't know about exactly what was said. And by the way, this is beyond just wiretaps. It's also surveillance of all kinds, including searches uh, that that the FBI is authorized to do. But we're told that the FBI has communications between suspected Russian operatives relaying what they claimed were discussions with Manafort, as well as communications involving Manafort. None of this uh, has amounted to what people consider a smoking gun in this investigation. There's still uh, more work being done to determine whether there's a criminal violation here, uh, we didn't get a comment from Paul Manafort's spokesman, but Manafort has previously denied that he ever knowingly communicated with Russian intelligence operatives during the election. Uh, he's also denied helping Russia undermine the U.S. interests, Aaron.
7: So, Pamela, you're reporting here that Paul Manafort has been monitored not once, but twice.
0: That's right, Aaron. So, our team is told that the secret order began after Manafort became the subject of an FBI investigation in 2014. We previously reported that centered on work done by a group of Washington consulting firms for Ukraine's former ruling party, uh, our sources say. And the surveillance was discontinued at some point uh, last year for lack of evidence, according to one of the sources. And then the FBI restarted the surveillance after obtaining a new FISA warrant that extended at least into early this year. The sources say the second warrant was part of the FBI's efforts to investigate ties between Trump campaign associates and suspected Russian operatives. Now, it is unclear when that new warrant started. And as part of the the FISA warrant, uh, we've learned, Aaron, that earlier this year, the FBI conducted a search of a storage facility belonging to Paul Manafort. And as you'll recall, this past July, under Robert Mueller's direction, the FBI raided his home in Virginia.
7: And of course we knew that, but uh, as part of what you're breaking tonight, uh, that that raid of the storage facility, Mm -hmm. obviously new information. We didn't know we had a storage facility until this hour, and and we didn't know that they they had raided it. So that's also very significant. Shimon, do you know though, whether President Trump spoke to Manafort while he was under surveillance? That of course uh, could be crucial here as well.
4: Yeah, exactly, are an extremely crucial. Uh, but what we do know and what we've been told by sources is that the president and Manafort were still talking early this year, well after the campaign. And it is a time uh, that we've learned the FBI was listening to Manafort's phone calls. So it is possible uh, that those phone conversations were collected during that surveillance uh, as they were listening to them. Uh, so,
7: And of course, the president uh, had said vocally again and again, that he was wiretapped and that he meant that to mean not just phones, but all kinds of surveillance. Was he right?
4: Well, not exactly. So we do know that, you know, and the Justice Department has spoken out about this and they have denied that the president's own lines were were wiretapped. But as we said, it is possible that he was picked up on Manafort surveillance. Uh, We should know that Manafort does have a residence in Trump Tower but it is not clear if the FBI did surveillance on Manafort at Trump Tower, Aaron.
7: So, So, Pam, what does this mean, all of this, for the Mueller investigation? As, as, as you and Evan point out, he now is in possession of whatever came from this, this, this wiretap.
0: Right, he is in possession, it is in his hands and uh, the Paul Manafort investigation has been really the most visible investigation under Robert Mueller. Uh, the special counsel started in May and and there were, uh, we we know that there was a raid on his storage facility before Robert Mueller took over, but then you have that raid uh, this past July. It's unclear uh, if those stemmed from any of the intelligence that was gathered under the FISA warrant, but it is clear uh, that investigators are still very interested uh, in, in To paul manafort under the direction of robert Mueller, aaron
7: and and evan uh, a couple questions here Uh, one obviously manafort for for some time with all of this focus i'm sure has been careful in what he says and how he communicates but but do you know if this surveillance is still ongoing in any way and what is the significance that they were able to get this crucial fisa warrant to do it
8: Well, we don't know exactly when uh, the the, the timeline of the surveillance, whether it has ended, whether it is continuing to this day. Uh, But look, the fact that they were able to get a FISA warrant is a big deal. The fact is that this has to get approval from the highest levels of the Justice Department and the FBI before agents can carry out this type of surveillance. It's considered so intrusive that you almost never find out that these FISA warrants are are authorized, Aaron. And then the other thing is that you have to present proof or or, or suspicions uh, that uh, someone is actually acting as an agent of a foreign power. All of this goes into providing uh, the paperwork that these judges uh, then have to approve before allowing the FBI to do this type of surveillance. It's very intrusive work.
7: Very intrusive work and obviously very not easy to get, really hard to get, as you all point out. So
1: we're going to talk about that. Drew is over here shaking his head, which is disagreeable to me. I was hoping that wouldn't be the reaction, but that is okay. We're going to talk about it. A FISA warrant is not like your, your, your local cop going down to the local yokel judge and getting a warrant for an arrest or a warrant to search a car or a house. It is vastly different than that. And I think that's what they're getting at there. That it's not your normal hokey
3: search warrant, especially a no-knock search warrant, which this was. Well, you have to distinguish FISA warrants from... Please. No-knock no, no warrants. So FISA warrants are... No, no, ri- no. Uh, uh, FISA warrant from just a regular old search warrant. Well, no, FISA warrants are only for surveillance. That is right. Right. So when uh, the the search warrant that was executed upon his storage facility was a warrant that was obtained from a magistrate judge. Mm-hmm. And also his home. Right. And With, his home.
1: His home was the no-knock warrant where they picked the lock, went in... Right. Uh Early in the morning. That's when the one we t- we've already talked about on the show months right, ago. Right. And then they also took like took photos of his suits. Like they, it was very very
3: exhaustive. Right. But I think what uh, the commentators were talking about and suggesting that FISA warrants are difficult to get is pretty misleading. Hmm. So, what needs to happen in order for a investigative agency, whether it's the FBI, the DEA, or Somebody else to obtain a FISA warrant is to uh, essentially present some evidence that the person that they intend to surveil has had some communications with uh, some foreign adversary, and there's a suspicion of a foreign spying. It's the uh, the acronym stands for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. That's right, it does. So you're correct, but if I you need like a ding, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but if you look at the but if you actually sort of research the statistics, FISA warrants are almost never, ever denied.
1: Uh, I, I do know that to be true. It, it actually is a problem right. um, with the proliferation, or the proliferation of, of FISA warrants after the, the Patriot Act right. was out of control. Out of control. Yeah.
3: And that's, I mean, the whole uh, Edward Snowden controversy. Uh, had a lot to do with that the you know the uh, nsa had obtained fisa warrants to to essentially spy on american citizens to obtain the metadata of all this of you know their cell phone information all that stuff and and it's i i I looked it up tonight and i I think the first time that there's a there's an appeals process for fisa and i think the first time that was ever used was 24 years after the enactment of the act Hmm. uh, when it when a fisa warrant was denied it just never happens i mean you're more likely to uh, I, there's, there's this old joke that um, grand juries, you know, you can indict, ham a, ham, indict yeah. a ham sandwich. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's similar with FISA warrants. I mean, the, it's, it's, it's... Well, it is different, though, because there's, not, there's no defense representative right. there exactly. to push against the approval of the FISA warrant. Well, it's the same in, in indictment proceedings, and it's the same in presentations to magistrate judges. These things all tend to be pretty rubber stampy. Yeah. So you present this evidence to a judge. If it looks credible on its face without any scrutiny, then the chances are that the FISA judge or the magistrate judge, depending on the context of the warrant, is going to grant it. And it's led to a lot of really perverse outcomes. What so is- the
2: FISA warrant in and of itself is not all that compelling. R-
1: well, let, let's let's explain a, a FISA warrant here is to surveil him. Right. So they and it's it's not a broad all avenues of communication. They'll say we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bug his cell phone or we're gonna tap sure. his his work line. Sure. It's, yeah. There's specificity. It's not if he speaks, we're gonna have a a, a parabolic microphone that just uh, that it's gonna be listening to him. It's specific. Right. So when he this is where it gets it's a big deal is that it's not this is foreign intelligence surveillance. They believe, and they presented evidence to a judge whether or not it was difficult to persuade that judge. It wasn't. They 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 presented evidence to this judge that compelled he or she to issue the warrant. Not a big deal, apparently. So, well, but, okay. it's, but it's de- in dealing with foreign nations. Yeah. This isn't, ah, oh, yeah, financial crimes, huh? We're going to listen in and see what you did. This is foreign intelligence that we're talking about. Now... The other question that CNN has been asking too many times all day is, well, doesn't this kind of uh, back up what Donald Trump said about him being wiretapped? No. No. Now, it can. Maybe they have Donald Trump talking to Paul Manafort because they tapped Manafort's line in an effort to secure some kind of an indictment or evidence against him.
3: Well, and also Donald Trump accused Obama of wiretapping his That's guns. right. So it's not the same thing. It is not the same thing. <laughs> um and and you're you're right. Donald Trump does not appear to be the target or the subject of a FISA warrant. However, when
1: Paul Manafort worked for the Russian friendly Ukrainian political party, if they were doing anything even apart from that, if they were talking about arranging payments from Russians to the campaign because this was a t- two separate warrants, uh, ostensibly about two separate uh, matters. Maybe not, but for for my purposes, well, we don't and really know. Bias, we're going to say it is.
3: We, we don't really know for sure.
1: <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but if Donald Trump is on tape, if Donald Trump has been recorded in a conversation with Paul Manafort, they could have evidence of even him knowing about illicit illegal activities uh, involving a foreign nation, that is a bad fucking deal for sure, Donald Trump. Sure, sure. But,
3: I mean, thats it's really all speculative at this point.
1: Everything is. All we know is there was a warrant. We don't know anything else other than the raids, What's, which is also a, a bigger deal than, I think, the warrants.
3: Yeah. So I, I guess the way that I look at it, because I know how rubber-stampy these things are, and how easily that the feds can obtain these types of warrants. What I think is the most significant part of the story is just that this is the direction that the investigation is going. And yeah. this really clues us in onto what Mueller is after. Right. I don't think this is significant from the context of revealing anything that we didn't really already know. Well good. This is why we had
1: you here, even if you disagree, even if you're not singing my song and marching to the drum that I'm trying to drum here. That's why we had Drew come in, because you know more about this shit than me, and uh, you're going to bring me down to earth a little bit. So that's good.
3: Well, I'm hopeful. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that there's something juicy in there, because I would love... For there to be a smoking gun.
1: I, the, I think the audience knows. Drew, for those of you who don't know, is left of me. Mm-hmm. He's left of Britney Page. Mm-hmm. So you're not in any way rooting for Donald Trump. You're you're
3: definitely a... Uh, I I believe in due process and <laughs> well, we'll save that for later.
1: <laughs> well, let's let's talk about this though. This is something that I'm sure it's near and dear to your heart, and that is The fucking debacle of a legal team that Donald Trump has surrounded himself with. Yeah. Listen to this. This is the latest audience that has been going on with these knuckleheads surrounding Donald Trump
6: about a sensitive case in a crowded restaurant might be risky for any lawyers. But when you represent the president and a New York Times reporter is close enough to listen and snap pictures, well, it's just another example of how President Trump's legal dream team is sometimes hijacking headlines and not in a good way. The team is made up of big-name players assembled to manage, among other things, the Congressional and Special Counsel probes into alleged Russian meddling in the election, or what the president calls... Fake news. <laughs> but there have been stumbles. Attorney Jay Sekulow repeatedly denying, for example, that the president helped craft a statement from his son about a meeting with Russians.
1: Well, no, that was written by Donald Trump Jr., and, and I'm sure in consultation with his lawyer. Because the New York Times has reporting that the
6: president okayed the statement. Well, they're incorrect. The White House, however, later contradicted Sekulow, saying, yes, the president did weigh in. Attorney John Dowd, according to the New York Times, forwarded a message defending the president's statements about the violence between white supremacists and counter-protesters in Charlottesville. I think there's blame on both sides. The message said, in part, the Black Lives Matter movement has been totally infiltrated by terrorist groups. Attorney Ty Cobb sparred with a reporter from Business Insider who released an email in which he asked if she was on drugs. Attorney Mark Kasowitz has now left the Trump team. But this summer, ProPublica published emails from a man who urged Cassowitz to resign and got this response. F you, how dare you send me an email like that? Watch your back, B. Kasowitz later apologized. So perhaps that overheard meeting in the restaurant is not so surprising. But the former attorney general for Virginia says, This is really, really uh,
1: below the standards of any lawyer. This should never have happened. And it's something we're talked to about and taught about as budding lawyers all the way back in law school.
6: Does any of this mean these lawyers cannot effectively represent the president? No, of course not. But it does mean when presidential attorney Michael Cohen meets with members of the Senate tomorrow, he could face more thorny questions than he expects.
2: So it's kind of embarrassing that even his legal counsel, which is educated and yeah. it's highly experienced, that even they don't seem to have their shit together.
1: It is Well, first of all, the the Virginia attorney general that they just had on is Ken Cuccinelli, who is a far right wing Republican who is a Trump cheerleader at all moments. So he bends over backwards to try to twist his legal arguments to favor Donald Trump. Even he is saying, ah, come on, what the fuck, you guys? So it points to me. It makes me ask the question. Are they taking marching orders from the behavior of Donald Trump, Drew? Or are they just, this is the crew that he picked
3: because they're this type of guy? I honestly, I am struggling to account for this kind of behavior. There is no way in hell that I would do any of these things because <laughs> every one of these things compromises the interests of your client and that's just a huge no no like you you can't do that like you have to be mindful and you have to be protective of the interests of your client lawyers we're human beings we're not perfect we make mistakes we get angry but you have like you can't do it in such a way that it exposes your client to embarrassment or or liability as as many of these clowns and uh, i'm <laughs> i don't hesitate to use that that term as many of these clowns have uh, it is, I mean, seriously, this is the- How
2: p- it dare you call them clowns? That is the- Not on this program, that is, sir. That language is offensive, and it is not allowed on this now, program. Had
3: you, had on this s- program. Had you said fucking clowns, we well, would have let it slide. I mean, look, you know, we're sort of like a fraternal order in, in the law. We, we Officers of the court. <laughs> we're officers of the court. <laughs> you know, in California, we actually have, a, have to take an oath to be uh, to treat other lawyers with dignity. mm. That's new. Really? Yeah, that's new It'd be just because it got so bad. Oh, so you're just, you took an oath. So you, is you, it because you, of Mark Garagos? Honoring, I'm honoring my oath.
2: Mark Garagos really
3: Maybe, brought you know. things down. So so listen,
1: Aaron Burnett sat down today with Ken Vogel, who is the New York Times reporter, who sat a table away, snapping photos with his smartphone and vigorously taking notes about the conversation the the secret... Client related conversation, the national security related conversation for all we know at this lunch.
7: Out front now, Ken Vogel, a reporter for The New York Times who overheard President Trump's attorney publicly discussing the Russia investigation, and Richard Painter, the former White House ethics lawyer for George W. Bush. So, Ken, let me start with you. I, wa- I want to start first with this lunch. You know, you're at a, a steakhouse, I know, with a source, BLT Steaks, a nice steakhouse. Um, set the scene. Did you see Ty, Cob- uh, Ty Cobb and John Dowd before you sat down? Did they sit down next to you? How did this all play out?
5: Yeah, so we actually, my source and I, were seated before Dowd and uh, Cobb came in, and we'd probably been there for about half an hour, and my source kind of points over my shoulder and says, Hey, isn't that that guy? And sure enough, as you described, the guy's the big handlebar mustache. He is not the most inconspicuous fellow in the world. I turn around and notice, yes, in fact... In fact, it is him. Uh, we sort of continued our lunch, wrapped it up, and, uh, and throughout the you know throughout the conversation with the source, I'm kind of half-leading uh, in, <laughs> trying to hear the, the conversation at the table next to me. My source uh, kindly did, just sort of excused himself, and I said, oh, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here and have a few more iced teas, and I hung out for another half hour to 45 minutes as Cobb and Doubt continued this conversation so, about very sensitive legal strategies.
7: Very sensitive legal strategies. Okay. So you're sitting there. Um, and at this point you're sitting alone, you know, and most of us, if someone's sitting alone, you know, you kind of have an awareness is that person listening in on your conversation. They didn't seem to have that awareness. And then, you know, we're showing, we've shown the picture that you, you sent out, you tweeted out of them having lunch and, um, you obviously took that picture. I mean, were you trying to do it inconspicuously or they just were that oblivious?
5: Uh, i think it's probably a little bit of a combination of the two i definitely was uh not looking at them i was trying to keep my head buried in my phone on which i was taking notes but from their perspective perhaps i was just surfing the internet as everyone is wont to do uh, you know these days, and and the the photo, I kind of tilted the camera and tried to uh, touch the you know touch the button to trigger it uh, inconspicuously. But um, yeah, I mean they, they show no uh, awareness, or if they did have any kind of suspicion that I was sitting there doing anything other than surfing my phone, they certainly didn't uh, adjust their behavior accordingly. No,
7: to and they're sitting there, right? They're talking about um, internal uh, disagreements and fights over what to do over the Russia investigation. Names are being thrown around, right? I mean all of it.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the most interesting takeaway for me, other than the tension, uh, which is maybe linked to the, uh, the disagreement over the legal strategy, but was the, the degree to which they really laid out the debate that they were having over document production and uh, executive privilege and the degree to which they might uh, be sort of at odds and laying out the way that uh, Ty Cobb felt, which is that more document production and erring on the side of inclusion of these documents would potentially help uh, help Mueller shift the investigation or or sort of guide Mueller in his investigation away from Trump because Cobb feels that there is nothing in these documents to hide versus Don McGahn's perspective, which Cobb laid out a little bit, but we also were able to flesh out more from our subsequent reporting, which is that these th- this document production should be done only after a very thorough review as to whether these documents should potentially be um, uh, privileged executive privilege should be applied to these documents. And that is something that McGann, we understand, feels that Cobb is not taking into account and that in so doing, he might potentially compromise the ability of the Trump White House in this investigation, in future legal dealings, and maybe even future presidencies, compromise future presidencies' ability to assert privilege when a prosecutor is seeking documents.
1: So it sounds to me... Like Donald Trump has chosen attorneys, not Don McGahn in this case, because I think Don McGahn is a pretty much a stand-up guy. He's the White House counsel. He represents the presidency. Not necessarily Donald Trump personally, but President Donald Trump, right? It sounds to me like these other characters, like Mark Kasowitz before Ty Cobb and John Dowd, it seems like a battle of egos more than anything else. And maybe it's just the, the recklessness with which they sat down at a busy sidewalk cafe across from the New York Times having this conversation.
3: I imagine that it's probably difficult to be on that side of this whole dispute, if you want to call it, and have the ability to fully maintain your sanity. It's... You know, I've been I've been in uh, some situations where I've where I've had to sort of immerse myself into sort of a, a legal way of thinking about things, and it it has a it has an effect on you that that sort of takes you out of the realm of of rationality sometimes, and hmm. and I imagine that that is part of it. If your singular task is to protect Donald Trump from liability, yeah, that would be maddening for yeah. me, and I don't. I'm not surprised. I'm still a little ashamed of the reckless behaviors that these attorneys are engaging in and the ways that they're uh, compromising the interests of their clients. But I'm not surprised that that it's sort of gotten to this point.
1: Well, what do you think about the argument now that if they discuss things that were attorney-client privilege publicly that were actually relayed to the media, whether they knew it or not, that then attorney-client privilege can be waived in some cases? Well... Or has to be waived.
3: I mean, the the attorney-client privilege only applies to communications that are between the client and the attorney. Right. So if, unless, you know, maybe I missed it, but I don't recall anything that uh, dealt with explicit communications between... They
1: they didn't discuss every... If you want to get the full thing, go find out. uh, Ken Vogel on New York Times, he wrote an entire piece about it. And a lot of the details they get into aren't included here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but if that is the case, if speculatively,
3: mm-hmm.
1: if that is the case, is there an argument to be made that those things are no longer privileged?
3: Well, I it's the client that has to be the one that weighs the privilege. Mm. It's not. It's not the attorneys. The attorneys, you know, they can commit malpractice. And so
1: it might be considered malpractice. Yeah,
3: potentially. Huh. If I mean, the attorneys have a duty of confidentiality with their communications. Their client. The privilege is really about what's admissible in court. Hmm. But if the attorneys revealed confidential communications to their client, then, yeah, the client has a cause of action for malpractice against the attorney, especially if it it has to damage them. But if it damages them, then, yeah, of course.
2: I'm glad that you're able to read my notes so clearly, Drew. It's
1: great.
3: (laughs) It it is awesome
1: that we bring a lawyer on to to distill down with clarity and we leave with more fucking questions than when we started.
3: (laughs) Such is the nature of the law.
1: God damn. All right. Well, let's wrap this show.
2: Taken Care of Biz.
1: Brooke Baldwin. Brooke Baldwin from CNN.
2: Yeah, although I have some thoughts.
1: You have some thoughts.
2: Yeah. Lay them on us. Okay, so I don't know if everyone has seen the discussion that she was having with Clay Travis.
1: Oh, Clay Travis. Yeah. The, the sports talk radio guy, everybody.
2: I don't know who he is. This is my, this is either. my first experience with him. I I know nothing about him. But I learned plenty during this interview. They were having a discussion about the Jamel Hill situation on ESPN and how she tweeted that Donald Trump is a white supremacist mm-hmm. and got into some trouble with ESPN and had to apologize and say that she wasn't representing ESPN. Uh, of course, this has been controversial because ESPN has fired people in the past for their political opinions. Kurt Schilling, yeah, when he posted that meme
1: about trans people in bathrooms,
2: yeah, so he got fired for a
1: that. hateful fucking thing. The meme. Yes. Not his position on the bathroom thing. Just the meme was, it was fucking hateful.
2: It was pretty disgusting. So, people have been wanting her to be fired, and Brooke Baldwin had Clay Travis on and another gentleman, I'm not, I don't know his name, and this is what happened.
6: I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I believe in only two things completely, the First Amendment and boobs. And so, once they made the decision... That they were Wait, not did going you just to say allow a you conservative in the First and sports related commentary. They right, couldn't hold on, believe. hold on, hold on. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly as a
7: woman anchoring the show. Did you say, what did you say? You yeah. believe in the First Amendment and B-W-O-B-S?
6: Boobs. Two things that have only never let me down in this entire country's history. The First uh. Amendment and boobs. So those are the only two things I believe in absolutely in the country. And so I don't think Jamel Hill should be fired. But I do think, straight up, that once you make the decision that you were going to let Kurt Schilling go, that you have to also make the decision that you're going to let Jamel Hill go. I think Somebody to come
1: on CNN
6: and to say something like the only thing I believe in, in a discussion I'm about just, something, I'm still there, there too.
7: And I just want to make sure it, I'm hearing I, you correctly. B O O Z E or B O O B S.
2: Yeah. Cause as a woman, I'm,
6: I'm, I'm, as in boobs, I believe completely in the first amendment, and in boobs, those are the only two things I believe one hundred percent in in this country. And by the way, Jamel has why are absolutely you nothing here to do with the backspin at all. About, did you notice that? He went straight to that. Yeah, you're, you're I, absolutely right. I did go. I did go straight why would to that, you even it, because say because that live
2: it. on national television and with a female host.
1: I say it live on the radio all the time
6: because it's true and that's what I do. Yeah. Because I like boobs and the First Amendment, which is exactly what I said. Listen, listen, Brooke. I, I I think that speaks for itself. I I, I love the First Amendment as, as well. Uh, I also love women, and I and and, and as <laughs> you one don't want boobs, love too. Who, the one as one who truly love, I'm not going to talk about that on on television because it's irrelevant to the topic. It shouldn't be brought up here. Well, I am am a supporter of of women in their careers. I'm a supporter and a staunch supporter of women like Brooke, who I've sh- shared the airways with before, and like Jamel who is a personal friend of mine for a long time, and to, I'm have, done. That even, I'm sorry, and to have her I'm anatomy done. brought up, to have anyone's anatomy brought up in this I'm conversation. I'm done. This is done. You, this is conversation else. over. Yanking mics.
7: Uh, bye. See ya. Um, that was entirely inappropriate, and it just took me, forgive me, that it took me a second. It's like live television happens, when you think you hear something, but you're not entirely sure, and then you realize it happened.
2: So my favorite part of this were were her facial expressions. And if you haven't seen this, you you missed a lot
1: of it's on the Facebook page.
2: Yeah, because she she just couldn't believe that that he said that. Right. I mean, she didn't invite Kid Rock on, you know, and he's essentially like, I love the First Amendment and tits. I mean, it's (laughs) hey, y'all. Yeah, it's just what? (laughs) What are you what are you saying? You know,
1: who is what wacky morning zoo fucking sports radio show? Does this guy host? Ah, it's the First Amendment you out with the boobs, everybody. Woo! What backwater bullshit is this?
2: Yeah, I don't know. But so, okay, I appreciate what happened here. And I thought it was good. And then she wrote this um, column on CNN. And it's basically about how you can't talk like this in 2017. And... In fact, the title is speaking like this to women in 2017. No way. And I guess that's kind of where I pause. And I think I mean, I don't think it's offensive what he said. I don't think that there's I don't think you need to be offended by it. Right. He should be shut down just because he's being a douche.
1: He's definitely being a dude. And he
2: shouldn't be treated like he's a serious person because he's he's clearly not a serious person. A, a but producer I think that's failed.
1: Where it, a booking producer failed at their job.
2: Yeah, but that's where it ends. Yeah. I mean, it's not as though you need to say as a woman, you can't say boobs. Well, I, you know, I mean I it's, even
1: thought it was weird when the the B-O-O-B-S or the B O O Z E. Like, why are you spelling? It's not the
3: N word. Well, because boobs because they booze. sound they they sound similar. So, he, the, how do you distinguish it without
1: booze or boob boob? Are you talking about
3: breasts?
1: Well, she was trying. Or are you to, talking about alcohol? She
2: was trying to distinguish, and right. she in, in the article she said that her producer got in her ear because he saw her face and said maybe he said booze. Oh, Maybe we didn't hear him all right, right. All right. And so they were trying to give him the benefit of so the they doubt. they really
1: were really trying to get to the bottom of yeah,
2: it. Yeah, so she she was trying to figure out what he actually said before she decided to make a decision about what to do.
3: Well, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, pivoting off your your comment there, I it's, it's unclear to me sometimes because I feel like there are topics that affect women and things that you talk about that affect women in ways that don't affect me as a, as a man. And so... Sometimes it's difficult for me to sort of distinguish when that argument is like fully legitimate, and sometimes when you know a, a news anchor might be trying to, to sort of milk uh, an mm-hmm. incident for for popularity purposes. And, and no pun intended, everybody. <laughs> No pun intended. Clay case.
1: Travis here. Wacky <laughs> morning zoo with the tennis, everybody. Uh, Woo!
3: I believe in the First Amendment. Honk honk. I'm no. talking
2: about boobs. <laughs> Woo! Oh, okay.
3: So, yeah, I mean, <laughs>
1: it's the boob titty hour. Wacky
3: morning zoo. It just, Sorry, Drew. Go ahead. <laughs> it just struck me as as a really juvenile, really over the top and, and not funny attempt at humor. Do
1: you think he was trying to be shock jock guy yeah. to make this moment happen? Yeah. Because even when when the other commentator said, oh, I like women,
3: don't you like boobs? Why not? I mean, he's <laughs> yeah.
1: just being a fucking idiot. Yeah. Right,
3: right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there, there was nothing about that comment that was directed specifically at Brooke Baldwin, at least not that I could tell.
1: Yeah. Because listen, I, I know that when our founding fathers sat down <laughs> and drafted... Our Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment, they certainly had boobs in mind. It almost made the cut, Drew. I know in your constitutional law classes, you probably were taught this. It was boobs almost
2: made the First Amendment.
3: The Second Amendment was between guns and boobs, and (laughs) guns won out. Yeah, bunch of trigger happy patriots.
2: And I'm not trying to speak for all women or even for Brooke Baldwin. Everyone
1: knows that's my job.
2: Obviously, if she felt offended because this was her show and the audacity of this person to come on her show yeah, and talk like yeah, that Yeah, I her, guess I could see that. That makes sense. Um sure. and I've I've definitely felt like that at certain times. Hashtag tube top and um <laughs> <laughs> um, I did love though is that
1: too inside
2: uh, it shouldn't be I, we might uh,
1: talk about that next time becoming
2: a thing and um, <laughs> I did love what she wrote at the end of her article she wrote as for my guest today despite what he's tweeting he won't be coming back on my show ever he works at Fox Sports Radio maybe he should learn from the folks over at Fox News being demeaning to women does have consequences
1: definitely definitely for does. sure ouch Hashtag Charles Payne hashtag Scotty nails Hughes hashtag rape look up those headlines everybody okay <laughs> with that we are gonna we try leave to leave you. it on
2: a happy note and that was quite somber
1: that guy, I gotta he, he that's a situation that is not gonna pan out well for Charles Payne
2: mm.
1: like I said with that we're gonna leave you we love you we appreciate you Thank you for tuning in twice a week or as often as you do. If you are a person who is ready to join the Patreon family, we have a Patreon call coming up at the end of the month on Friday and Saturday. We would love for you to be on it. You can do that by going to dollamore.com Patreon, make a one-time donation at dollamore.com slash PayPal, or go buy some shit at Amazon. Go to dollamore.com slash Those are three wonderful ways of supporting the show. You can also go to dollamore.info and buy yourself a kick-ass tee. A t-shirt that Clay Travis would not approve of. Nope. No tits on this shirt.
2: Classy laid.
1: Classy laid. We love you. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. And until then, for Drew Levine. Hello. Brittany Page. Goodbye. I am Jesse Dollamore. And this is Ben. I doubt it. She looks a lot like Hulk (laughs) Hogan.
3: She's taller than me. (laughs) Oh.